Amen. Hallelujah. We have been set free. And I hope that's the story of your life, that, that you proclaim God's grace, His goodness, the freedoms, the life that He has given you as you have, have conquered death, as you have conquered the deaths that we experience. Again, I, would, I wanted to begin this, this time with saying again, thank you for your, your prayers. It's been several weeks since I've updated you on my, some of my medical journey, but I am today port-free uh, cancer scans came back negative, so they have taken that point out. So, Amen. For, for me and for my testimony, what a great testimony of how God has, has freed me from that. Even as, as many of you that I love and care for continue to struggle through your cancers and through your illnesses and battles that we have. But may we find victory because God has conquered the grave and promised to bring healing to all of us. Thank you for being here on this first Sunday. We, we have spent, some might even say, I hope not, but we, we've had several prayers today. And, and I, I can't help but sense that we need to begin this time with a prayer for our nation and for our world. And also as an invitation, we have a special, special time of prayer each Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. I would invite you to come. Come and eat dinner with us and come to our prayer time. And then there's opportunities to go into Bible study or just to go on back home. But we pray through the Scriptures. Each week we use Scriptures to, to guide and to shape our prayers, uh, reflecting on the theme for, for the Sunday sermon, reflecting on what's going on in our, in our community, in our world. And today I am, am drawn to, to just spend a, a moment of prayer for our nation. Let me read this passage out of First, first Thess, excuse me, First Timothy. Um, chapter 2. You know, as we begin a new year, we have uh, signs and rumors and, and instances of war in the Middle East already this year. We, we have an election season coming up, which most of us dread the, the vitriol and the divisiveness, the polarization that, that lies before our nation. And if at any time to begin a, a new year with prayer for our nation, prayer for the world, this 2020 would be that time. First of all, then, Paul writes to Timothy, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and for all of those who are in authority. Why would we pray for kings and those in authority? Listen to what Paul says. It's where we live today. So that we may lead a tranquil, a peaceful, and quiet life in all godliness and dignity for you see this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires that all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men that man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all let's pray father as we begin this new year we are reminded of the threats and the possibilities, the realities of war, of violence all throughout this world. Our hope, hearts broke this last week as we saw a, a shooter go into a church. Our hearts broke this week as we saw, again, violence erupt in the Middle East. We pray for those in authority in this world. 
We pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment, that you would draw them to yourself so that we, so that men and women and children in this world may live lives in tranquility, quietness, in dignity, and in godliness. Father, we profess as Christians that your Son Jesus is the one true and only mediator between man and between you. And so God, as, as followers of Christ, draw us to, your knee, to our knees. Make us intercessors to, inter to intercede and to pray for those around us. We pray for our nation as, as we move into this political season. We pray that instead of greater and greater division and polarization, that you would, would bring our nation to, to that point of unity, to that point of conversation, to that, that point of being able to, to talk and even to disagree, but to do so civilly, and to do so with the concern and love of our neighbor, the forefront of our heart and our mind even as that might look differently through policy. Lord, draw us to love you and to love our fellow man and woman in this place. Father, we commit ourselves to this this year. Lord, make us intercessors and prayers, interceding on behalf of those around us. And we give you thanks for hearing and answering responding to the prayers that we offer for your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Again, I would encourage you to come and to pray with us on Wednesdays and to pray in your own quiet times, in your own time with the Lord. You see, Romans chapter 8 tells us that there is a mediator between God and between man. And this mediator, this Christ, this Jesus, sits on the right hand of the Father so that he can pray and intercede for us. You see, Jesus is under attack today. There are those that might proclaim he's just a great man, he was a great teacher, but he's really not God. He's really not the Son of God. He cannot be the Savior and Messiah of the world. In church, the foundation, the fundamental belief that we share as Christians, as Christ's followers, is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And as we read through the scriptures, and I just briefly want to, to touch on a few scriptures, as we read through the New Testament, even the Old Testament, what we see today is that Jesus is described in scripture as the Christ, as the God, as the Son of God. Hebrews 11.8 will be our, our theme for the, the next few weeks as we, we reflect on our, our church, both yesterday, today, and forever, and for tomorrow. But G Hebrews 11.8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. We can have confidence and faith and trust in Him. The last verses of the Scriptures, the book of Revelation, Jesus says this about Himself. The, the writer of the Re book of Revelation says this about Jesus. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. Jesus Christ understood, he recognized himself, that he was here from the beginning and he will be here in the end. Because why? Because he is the same both yesterday, today, and forever. Do you remember that story, that powerful story in the book of Exodus where the people of God, the children of God in slavery are crying out 
to God to hear them. And God hears them, and He calls His servant Moses. And as Moses hears the voice of the Lord, as he's there at that burning bush and that, that holy, sacred encounter that he has with God, Moses asks this question. He asks this question when, when Yahweh, when the Lord says, go to Pharaoh, Moses says, well, well, who am I? Who am I? Isn't that a question that so many of us ask? Who, who am I? Our meaning is found in who we are in relationship to God through Christ Jesus. And then Moses asks that question, who are you? Who are you? He asks of Yahweh. And Yahweh answers that question. God answers that question with this famous passage. He says, I, I am. I am who I am. I, I was who I was. I will be who I will be. Yahweh is God. He's existence. He's being. He's been here forever and he will be here forever. As we move into the New Testament, we see this Hebrew concept of I am translated into the Greek culture. In John chapter 1, Jesus is identified as the Word, as the Logos. He's the I am of, of, of the Greek culture and, and helping them to understand who God is. And, and that scripture says in John 1, 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, the Logos, was God. And then the revelational news of verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is this Word. Jesus is this Word that came to live and to dwell among us. He is the great I Am. He is the Word, the Logos, that goes before us. He is Emmanuel, God, who is with us. I love in the, the, the crucifixion, the arrest story, Jesus is before Pilate. He's being accused of who He is. And, and tell us who you are, Pilate says. And, and those who've come to accuse Him, who are you? Tell us who you are. And finally, Pilate asks the question, are you the Son of God? And Jesus simply responds, yes. I am. And all those Jewish leaders that would have been there, those religious leaders would have understood immediately Jesus' reference, He is the great I am. And the beautiful hymns that were written by the New Testament, the early church in Philippians 2, Scripture describes Jesus as saying that He was in very nature God. In Colossians chapter 1, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. That doesn't mean that he was born. That, that's a reference to he was the first to exist. Existence is found in, in Christ Jesus. He's the, the firstborn, the first to exist of all creation. In other words, there was never a time that existed when the Son did not exist. And again, the story of Easter. He's the firstborn from the dead. So on this first Sunday of the new year and of the new decade, it is appropriate for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper, the Supper of the Great I Am, the Supper of the Logos, the one who became man and dwelt among us. If you would, turn with me to that, that passage, that foundational passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's, it's the Lord's Supper as, as it was received by the Apostle Paul and as he began to share that supper with the early church and it began to spread as a part of the way they would, would, would recognize and remember and worship the Lord. Let's read this passage. 
verses 23, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 27. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body of the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So in these moments, as we reflect on this this passage and on the value, the significance of sharing in the Lord's Supper together, it's a time for each of us to examine our own selves, examine our lives in relationship to, to Jesus Christ, the Logos, the God who existed before all things existed. I use this in reference to the passage in Hebrews. First of all, Jesus the same yesterday. On the night he was betrayed, the scripture says, that's yesterday, there's a historical event that took place. Jesus' birth, we celebrated in Advent and Christmas, the beauty of his birth, the beauty of Emmanuel coming to, to live among us, but his meaning is only, the meaning of his birth is only found in his death and his resurrection. You see, the Lord's Supper celebrates that God is with us, That God came to live and dwell among us. Yes, Jesus was betrayed and he was forsaken. He was put to death. But he was also exalted and glorified as the firstborn from the dead because of his sacrificial obedience and his love for his Father and his love for you and I. The elements that we will hold today symbolize his death. The bread symbolizing his broken body. The cup symbolizing his blood, which was shed for us. Yes, today we reflect, we look at yesterday, we look at at the fact that Jesus came, that God actually came, and in the person of Jesus Christ, lived and dwelt among us. The Word who created the universe. Today, as we eat this bread, today as we drink this cup, we proclaim. You see, the Lord's Supper isn't just about what happened historically. The Lord's Supper is about what God continues to do through His Son and through His Spirit even today. You see, as Christ's followers and as His church, we are to share together in the Lord's Supper. First of all, the Lord's Supper binds us together as a family. We are the body of Christ, the church, as often as you, Paul says, as often as you, as often as you and I, as often as the church eats and drinks of this bread and of this cup, we are to remember what Christ has done for us. The supper reminds us that our devotion to Christ is lived out through our devotion to one another. We rejoice together. We suffer together. We share our lives together. You see, the Lord's Supper is the meal around which the family of Christ gathers to renew our commitment to Him and to each other. So on this first Sunday of the year, as we gather around His table, 
Let us renew our commitment to the Lord to walk faithfully to Him and also to walk faithfully with the body of Christ. If First Baptist Church is your home church, then that would be for you to commit to follow and to be a part of this community of faith in a more significant way. If this is not your church home, if you're visiting today, then whatever your church community is, your, your family of faith, that you would renew that commitment to walk with them each and every day. A second focus that we have today in the present as we share in the Lord's Supper together is that we must understand that His sacrifice for our sin and His victory over death that took place in the past also has a present relevance for our faith today. You see, the Lord's Supper proclaims that our sin separates us from God and that the only way to bridge that separation is through the death of Jesus Christ. I'm reminded in the news this week, in the national news media, we were reminded that Christians believe in fairy tales. There's a, an element in our nation, in our world, in our culture that is against the Scriptures, that is against the truth that Scriptures would proclaim. And we must be reminded that the message of the cross, as Paul would say, is foolishness to those who are lost, to those who are dying, but is the power of God unto salvation. You see, through faith, we are to be participants in the new covenant of grace, the new covenant of redemption, the new covenant of salvation. And in proclaiming His death today, by sharing in His supper, we give witness to the resurrection to the resurrection of our Lord and to the resurrection that each one of us may experience through His presence and through His work of grace in our lives. You see, He experienced death so that we might experience eternal life so that we might be in the presence of God forever. That on this place, in this world, that we might experience salvation and that we might accomplish His works of good deed. Finally, sharing together in the Lord's Supper casts our gaze to the future. Remember what Paul said, that we are to, to proclaim, we proclaim His death until He comes. Jesus' words from John chapter 14 have brought comfort to those troubled for over 2,000 years. Listen to these words from Jesus Himself. Until He comes, I go, Jesus says, and prepare a place for you, and I will come again, and I will receive you to Myself, that where I am, there you also may be. For I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. As we share in the Lord's Supper, we proclaim His death until He returns. Until He returns. For when He returns, we experience eternity in a new and deeper and more fulfilling way than we can on this side of His returning. You see, until He comes, we must continue to remember and to eat His bread and to drink His cup and to proclaim His death and His resurrection as we live in the new covenant of His grace and of His righteousness until He comes again.